Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 89, and I am your ghost host with the most, Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Millsy. Plain old Joe Daxberger. <laughs> For now. Uh, what a night. What a night ahead of us. <laughs> yep. This one was a lot of fun for me. Uh, gothic fantasy. We have 1988's Beetlejuice, which I've long been a fan of. Mm-hmm. 1990's Edward Scissorhands, which I've long been a fan of. And 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas, which I've long been a fan of. <laughs> hmm. Look at that. Yes. Uh, I'm. I must have been the one to come up with this trio, but uh, <laughs> you were. You were with good reason. Just uh, I. I'm a. I'm a fan of all three of these movies. I'm not even going to bury the lead. Uh, <laughs> the big question is just going to be which of them do I love most? Mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I and it, uh, as of right now, I have no idea how this is going to play out for you. <laughs> Yeah, I come into this with all kinds of baggage, bags packed <laughs> aplenty. Uh, so the uh, thing I'm most curious about is what about you? Um, I would consider this trifecta in this subsequent episode an absolute blast. Uh, longtime Beetlejuice fan, longtime Edward Scissorhands fan. Edward and- Scissor fan. And somehow had just never clapped eyes on Nightmare Before Christmas until yesterday. Mm. Yeah, that's obviously the one that I'm most curious to hear your thoughts on, and it's also the last one we're going to talk about. But because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, here and there on the show, we've had instances of. Uh, I feel like usually you seeing a movie that I'm a big fan of that you hadn't seen before, and uh, you know, there's always that fear. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What happens? What happens if Dax doesn't like this movie that I love when we have to end the podcast over it? Nah. <laughs> I, uh, in watching these and checking out IMDb and just saying, like, I've seen a decent amount of Tim Burton films. Uh, certainly not all of them. There's quite a few I'm just missing out on. But most, uh, I would say most of the ones I've seen, I'm, like, really a big fan of. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you'll get into... Nightmare Before Christmas and how how much of a Tim Burton film that is or isn't. Man, is there a Tim Burton movie I haven't seen? uh, Yeah, I like quite a bit of his movies. I mean... You have not seen... I would think it would would almost have to be something really new. Big Eyes. No, I have seen Big Eyes. Oh, shit. Um, Did you sit through Dumbo? No. Like I said, it would have to be something really new. I'm out on those fucking Disney live action remakes. I mean, he, it was a very different in like incarnation of Alice in Wonderland, but he was kind of the one who started that whole thing. 
Like, I think the popularity of that Alice in Wonderland movie kind of got the ball rolling or helped get the ball rolling on this trend of mm. remaking Disney animated classics in live action. And it wasn't or Charlie f- and the Chocolate Factory. Do you think that counts, too? That was five years prior. But, I mean, that was a remake of a, a movie that was already live action. Oh, fair, fair. Gotcha. I feel like there was... I don't know. That um, His Alice in Wonderland might have been the first one. There was like that... I, it wasn't a remake of like an animated movie, but there was like a live action Disney movie. I, I think it was... I'm pretty sure it was Disney. It, it was like about a princess who came into the real world or something around that same time. Hmm. I can't remember the name of it. I've never seen it. But I almost feel like the two of those, like a live action princess movie and a remake of an animated uh, Disney movie, like around the same time, kind of got that ball rolling. Oh, interesting. Okay. that That's how I've always felt. I can't remember. Was it in, uh, Enchanted or something like that? Hmm. Oh, yeah, that sounds like it could be correct. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Okay. All but, right, fair. But yeah, I mean, did did he direct, did Tim Burton direct both Pee Wee movies? Because I've never seen the second one. No. He didn't. Okay. Um, No, it's not on here on his IMDb. So. But yeah, I mean, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Batman, Batman Returns. Edward. Corpse Bride, Edward, fucking love Edward. Mars Attacks. Mars Attacks. Sleepy Hollow? Sleepy Hollow, I like. Me too. Planet of the Apes. I've seen his Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Same. I've actually been wanting to rewatch it for a long time. Mm, Big Fish. Big Fish is awesome. Love that movie. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. I haven't seen since the theater, but I loved it in the theater. As did I. Frank and Weenie. Frank and Weenie, I don't love, but I would like to give it a rewatch. Mm. Aforementioned Big Eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I saw that one in the theater, and while not nearly his best work, I thought it was surprisingly good. It's based on a like a young adult book. It's it's kind of like Tim Burton's X Men in a weird way. Hmm. It's almost like what if (laughs) you know sickly looking children from old black and white photos were like you know superheroes or had powers. (laughs) Okay. It's 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 That's quite the elevator pitch. Sam okay. Jackson is the villain in it and he's really good. Oh. All right. Yeah, it looks like uh Dumbo was his last feature film. Yeah, and I mean I've seen everything else, but I Beetlejuice too. I think out. I mean I may have to skip Beetlejuice too as well. <laughs> I'm not excited about the prospect of that coming no, up. Me neither. But uh yeah, I don't know. I may have to call it Dumbo and Beetlejuice too. I may not see. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, quickly for myself, I will say, uh, grew up on Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, Beetlejuice. I believe Batman was the first live-action movie I saw in the theater. No, I would have been seven. I think before that, I have a recollection of uh, The Land Before Time as a hmm. going to the theater for that. Um, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Return. I've never seen Ed Wood. I've never oh, seen... Ed Wood's so good. <laughs> like, uh, arguably Tim Burton's best movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so I need to see Ed Wood. Um, 
Well, I won't say I need to see it, but I have not seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah, not a or huge Corpse fan Bride. Of not a huge fan of that one either. Or Alice in Wonderland. Have you seen Big Fish? Big Fish, I've seen. Uh, I remember saw it once. I kind of don't remember much, but I don't remember like disliking it. That movie's uh, also really good. I was a big fan of Sweeney Todd. Only yeah. saw it in the theater myself, but I liked that quite a bit. I recently acquired a Blu-ray, and I intend to watch it at some time in hopefully the not-too-distant future and give nice. it another look. Um, Dark Shadows, never saw. Oh, yeah, Dark Shadows. I feel like I liked that movie more than most people, but it is mm-hmm. not great. Okay. Um, I would watch Frankenweenie. Um, Big Eyes was complete new to me and had no idea. It sounded interesting, but you didn't seem to care for it. Yeah, it's um, it's okay. Sickly X Men, I'll give that a try because it sounds interesting. I don't care about Dumbo and yeah. Beetlejuice Two would have to have just the best trailer potentially uh, yeah. ever from to even get me to think about seeing that, that in the theater. I'm in the same spot with that one, my friend. I am in the yeah, same I just, spot. That's Beetlejuice Two. Got to do a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah just to even get me to think about it. So, um, yeah, shout out to Tim Burton. Love me some Mars Attacks. Big fan of Sleepy Hollow. Both Batmans. I like Batman Returns quite a bit. The first one, as people who know me know, I'm not really into. Yeah, I find that. I don't know exactly why you don't care for that one, but I, I am aware. I can tell you why I like two Returns more than the first one. Because Returns is a Tim Burton movie. Ah. I mean, upwards, downwards, backwards, and forwards, that is a Tim Burton movie. 100%. (laughs) The first one, like, you know, there's some Burtonisms in there, I guess, but... Tim Burton for hire. The way I always heard the story was that, you know, the first one was a success, and so he didn't really want to do the sequel, but the studio begged him to come back and said to him, you know, we'll let you do whatever you want. And so he Mm -hmm. probably got a big smell on his face and was like, Really? Yeah. And then he did his fucking nightmare penguin and put Paul Rubens in it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Turned Catwoman into like queen of the goths. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It kind of blows my mind. He was even hired for Batman. I don't know. The story behind it just seems like so wild. That's one of those things that, yeah, like how did he get chosen? Like, I don't know. If Tim Burton is one of these people who's like, you know, Sam Raimi kind of came out of the blue and directed Spider-Man. He'd been like an established director, but like whoever really would have guessed him. But Mm -hmm. he, you know, has said he is a longtime Spider-Man fan, used to collect the comic books and everything. And I feel like you can feel it in especially that first movie. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, Tim Burton, like I'm not aware of him being like a comic fan or a Batman fan or anything. It is one of those things that you just question like, it feels like it wouldn't have happened today. Like, that's a property that they are so precious with that, like... Yeah. Or, like, who watched Beetlejuice a year before and was like, that's who we need for Batman. Yeah. Seriously. Interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. But, alas, that'll be for a different Trifecta Mills. Yeah, I Perhaps. Guess so. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of love for Tim Burton around here. Uh mm-hmm. Let's just dive in. What do you say? Please. I'm very ready. All right. Beginning in uh, 1998, we have Beetlejuice. Are you the guys hiding out in the attic? 
We're ghosts. What do you look like under there? Aren't you scared? I'm not scared of sheets. Are you gross under there? Are you Night of the Living Dead under there? Like all bloody veins and pus? Night of the what? Living Dead, it's a movie. You know, if I had seen a ghost at your age, I would have been scared out of my wits. You're not gross. Why are you wearing sheets? We're practicing. You can see us without the sheets. Of course I can see you. Well, how is it that you see us and nobody else can? Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. You look like a regular girl to me. You read our book. Yeah. You could follow it. Yeah, why were you guys creeping around in Delia's bedroom? We were trying to scare your mother. Stepmother. Anyway, you can't scare her. She's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. It's been many moons since I've seen this in full. Mm-hmm. But I used to watch this quite a lot. I don't know if my brothers, this was one my brothers liked too, but um, must have been on an old VHS because I've just seen this one so many times, but... I mean, it could have been 20 years since the last time I saw it. Yeah. I wouldn't say I watched it a ton when I was younger, but I know that I saw it when I was younger because I used to watch the Beetlejuice cartoon as well. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like this is a movie I've always liked. I feel like I've liked it more as I've gotten older and like understood the humor more. Yep. And like some of the cool concepts and like how actually really interesting and ingenuitive and original it was. But yeah, it's not something that I watched like over and over again in my youth. But, yeah. you know, I've probably seen it five or six times over the years if I had to guess. Okay. And just conceptually, what a what a fantastic original idea. It's just this is one of those movies you watch like Ghostbusters or something and mm-hmm. then you, the movie ends and you just sit there in your own head and think Man, they don't fucking make original movies like this anymore. Like, when's the last time somebody came up with something this like fucking weird and crazy, right? And brought it to the screen so wonderfully. Yeah, and had like a, such a it's like own style. Yeah, that didn't feel like it's it does not at all feel like it's made by committee. This feels like one guy's vision. Yeah, it's like I don't know. There's a lot of arguments and debates out there about like the best era for movies or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's people who say it's the seventies with all the like, you know, De Niro and Scorsese and Pacino, like Serpico and all that stuff. And I see an argument there uh, just for the like amount of crazy ingenuitive stuff, like big trouble in little China and Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters and back to the future and Terminator and Indiana Jones and all that came out Preach in the eighties. Like, I've always kind of been on that bandwagon. I mean, it's also, I grew up in the 90s, but I was born in the 80s, and it's just, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of on board with a lot of that stuff, but it just feels like the things that kind of define broadly 80s film, or at least the kind of 80s films that I like, are either jacked up muscle man action movies and, like, original sci-fi stuff. Like, Yeah, yeah. Preaching to the choir, man. In a, in this day and age when everything's just a reboot or a sequel or a requel or, you know, oh, we're going to finally do a movie of like this, like children's toy or whatever, like mm-hmm. uh, just 
man, watching a movie like Beetlejuice just makes you go, fuck, where are yeah. these movies now? Yeah. I mean, Give even me that Beetlejuice is getting fucking Beetlejuice 2 in the year 2024 or whatever. Like, who's who's asking for that? I seriously, yeah. I mean, it's almost it's almost 40 years old. I mean. Yeah. It's crazy to think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I got to agree, Milzy, with just eras of movies. I think we've talked about it enough that, like, 80s just kind of cra- scratches all the itches. Um, 90s is its own thing. And I feel like, I probably, I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I probably said it in person. I think, like, the 2000s is probably the worst era for movies. <laughs> yeah. I think. Because I think that's really when the when the bigwigs thought they knew what they were talking about and started meddling too much. And then also the overuse of what probably was thought was groundbreaking CGI, but wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't actually good looking. I'll still say it's groundbreaking cause it's, you know, how they get to today. But, mm-hmm. um, and also if we're just out of conversation sake, I actually think we're like past the point of like the, the best times for CG. I think it's actually gone the like downhill now. I think it was all the way in the uphill till the throughout the teens. And actually now it's on a, and now it's just there's so much demand for CG that uh, no CG artists have the time to make stuff look right. good anymore right. <laughs> because of uh, tight release schedules and yeah, things. Pretty much. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to argue just you know without any real forethought that the 2000s is potentially the worst uh, decade for movies. But I feel like only three years in the 2020s are going to give it a run for its money oh, so fair. far. But fair, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, disagree there either. <laughs> but back to Beetlejuice. Um, back to Beetlejuice. Give me that weird shit. Yeah, is basically what I feel like you said. Like, yes, give me more of this. Absolutely, a hundred percent. It had been a couple years since I watched this, and like the outstanding thing that I felt, um, not necessarily a bad thing, but I was like a little surprised by is how little Beetlejuice himself is actually in this movie. Melzi, I looked it up after, and Don't what I saw... Time, like a screen time? <laughs> 15 minutes, which <laughs> I think I think it's not even that much. I thought that was incorrect. I was going to say 10 tops. Yeah. I mean, the movie's relatively short. It's only like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, get in, get out, do your thing, be done with it. Um, and yes, Beetlejuice is not the main character. But yeah, I was surprised. Like, it feels like maybe halfway through the movie before you even see him. And, uh, yeah, kind of, you know, there's the scene where, uh, the, the couple Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the first like haunting a- the scene with him. And then there's like, you know, one or two other parts where Lydia or the Maitlands like talk to him and then the big finale with him. And that's pretty right. much it. And yeah. then the, you know, the end credit scene or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll say for, for supposedly 15 minutes, man, what an all time great character. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just just like to the payoff of like what you think Beetlejuice like could be or should be is exactly this. It's just so entertaining. Like I said, it's been so long since I've seen it. But man, was I just like having a blast watching this? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot of, like, there's, you know, little bits and pieces that I forget about, like, the the stuff that kind of stitches the story together, but there's so many just memorable scenes from, like, the the dinner with, like, the shrimp hands. Oh, forget it. Uh, yeah. 
daylight comes and we want to go home that scene mm-hmm. um yep. like the 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 stair the uh stairway banister snake thing yeah uh, so good just the part where they meet him and they're down like in the the model of the house with like that green right. foam grass I and everything that. yeah i love that yeah him killing that that uh house fly i always yeah. like <laughs> always remember that mm-hmm. uh, i just love i love the house i mean this probably goes back to like uh, Tim Burton, but just the design of the house itself, and then what the they change it into, oh, the details yeah. change it into was so good. Where it's all like, what is what even would you call that? How, it's that almost art like style of the house. it's like uh, I don't know, but it's. Well, I was looking at it, and I was like, oh yeah, this is. I'm watching this in HD because it looks like like speckle paint, like every every inch of wall, door frame, anything is like painted like this concrete looking like splatter paint it's like art deco mixed with like german expressionism yeah and sculptures are like that yeah and but then it also has this weird like this like brutalist look to some of the architecture Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh it's fascinating it is so interesting to see how the house changes from just like this cozy comfy home into just this crazy fucking uh like nightmare version of like a a 80s yuppie apartment (laughs) Mm, yeah for sure and it's that and that but then there's still just the in the attic is the little the makeshift town model, which I just love that kind of stuff. Just and, a cool idea. Like I would love to know, was that an idea that was with the script, like from the beginning? Like mm-hmm. where did that idea come from? Cause right. so this, this wasn't, this movie wasn't conceived of or written by Tim Burton. It was written by a couple of guys named Michael McDowell and Larry Wilson, the original screenplay. Okay. And so their original version was very different. Actually, it's funny. I made the comparison to Ghostbusters and how like unique and fun it is, but very similar to Ghostbusters. Like the original script ended up being very different from the movie we ended up seeing. But those two guys wrote it and they showed it to Tim Burton because Tim Burton had directed an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that these guys had also written called The Jar. And he liked it, but. it was like um, he was he was already attached to Batman, maybe, and was working on that. I can't remember the timeline exactly, but like basically their original draft was a lot darker and Beetlejuice was envisioned as a winged demon who takes the form of a short Middle Eastern man okay. and has like an African accent and tries to kill the Dietzes instead of just scaring them. Okay. Uh, and then at some point, this other guy, Warren Garen came in and did a rewrite that like changed the tone and turned Beetlejuice from a quote unquote or from a killer into a quote unquote troublesome pervert. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. And I guess based on the original description of Beetlejuice as like, uh, I know he's not Middle Eastern, but like a Middle Eastern man, Tim Burton's first choice to play the role was Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) Okay. That's a different movie. But it's just like, I would love something that, uh, so I have a Blu-ray copy of this movie, and to my knowledge, there's not like some great collector's edition out there, but this is a movie that needs a documentary featurette. sure. Because I want to know how all this stuff came about. Like, I understand that a lot of the idea of like, 
you know, the bio exorcist who, you know, you've, it's, it's something that I don't even know if I ever thought about in previous viewings, but this time I was just like, that's such a neat idea. Like an exorcist gets a ghost or a demon out of a person and a bio exorcist is like the reverse where he's a ghost who like gets people out of like the lives of the ghosts, which Mm -hmm. I just thought was a cool idea. Yeah. And that was like one thing I don't think I ever may have never picked up on because I certainly was like out of my head completely. When I was going in to watch this, I was trying to think, I was like, what is the like onus for them meeting Beetlejuice? I just can't remember. I remember it's, you know, they find him in the the little town and that whole thing. But I was like, what, what is the connection? I don't remember. So I was when that actually came about, I thought it was awesome. Yeah. He's actually advertising his services, basically like an exterminator. (laughs) Right. I like the whole angle of like them trying to scare the Dietzes and it's just not working. This is why they got to hire someone to do it. Like yeah. makes the movie that I was already would have told you I loved even better just because I just like you did glommed onto that detail even more now. Yeah, I feel like there's little things like that that I was picking up on this time that like I never even really thought about before, kind of like you're saying, and it almost made it even better i don't know Mm -hmm. i feel like that's you know something i've talked about has happened over the years the many many times i've watched ghostbusters and like i started out as a kid just thinking it was cool that they were catching ghosts and then as i got older i was like wow this is actually a really funny and clever comedy and it's almost like that with beetlejuice where i always just liked it because it was like wow look at the crazy shit that's happening Mm -hmm. and now Mm -hmm. i'm just like man this is a really fascinating premise yeah it is and now i'm like very interested like just to even maybe like read the script and try to like not picture all like the, the Tim Burton. Oh yeah. Isms, you know, like Like what would somebody who's not seen the movie think if they read it? Like how could you even visualize what this would look like? There's, there's no way you'd picture what the movie actually looks like, which I guess would just, um, you know, give so much credit to him that that's like the world he created from that script. Cause just how everything looks. I love the, the ghost world. I love when they go to the office and like how the makeup is done for like the receptionist and the mm-hmm. other people in the waiting room. Like those like chunky kind of, it's almost like sixties kind of like pinup kind of like glam rock kind of makeup. <laughs> like I love that. Yeah. So much. And I think it actually won an Oscar. I think Beetlejuice um, won the Oscar. Yes. For makeup. This won the Oscar for best makeup. Yeah. But then, yeah, like, you know, like I said, Beetlejuice in the original script was an actual demon with wings, and then he was going to look like a Middle Eastern man. Like, how did they end up on what they ended up with? (laughs) He's, like, pale with the green shit, like, all over his face, and then he's got, like, the the pinstripe suit. That was uh, Michael Keaton's idea, was, like, the moss and shit on his face and neck and all that. Yeah. Which just seemed interesting, but it's, like, gross, which I like, Yeah. That's why we need a really good, like, making of documentary, like, talking yeah. head featurette thing with, like... For sure. Archival footage. Yeah, and original sketches and stuff. Or there needs to be, uh. like... A, there's so many great books out now that are, like... I have a making of Alien book and a making mm-hmm. of uh, Big Trouble in Little China book just full of mm-hmm. pictures and designs and stuff. There's a great one for Mad Max Fury Road. Like, this movie needs that. Because it's, like, so unique visually and just, like, especially when they're in that, like, afterlife office, just, uh, you know, every scene, if you pause it, you could probably find, like, six more interesting looking things in the background that they're not even focusing on. I uh, Something I wanted to ask you about, which 
you could tell me if you even noticed this or if I'm wrong. I think I'm right. And I wouldn't have caught this, what I think is a reference, even a month ago. Mm-hmm. Because I had just recently, for the first time, watched Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. Which has the, the famous like final shot. Yep. And I think that it's recreated in Beetlejuice by Gina Davis when she's trying to scare the Dietzes and she's like in the, um, they open the door and she's like in one of the offices and she's holding her husband's head and she's got the giant bloody knife and she's like making the same face like the girl from Hmm. Sleepaway Camp. I remember the scene. I don't specifically remember the face that she was making. I remember her holding his head. So much so that um, I Googled it just to see and I basically found one single tweet where this guy's asking the same thing <laughs> to which there's some likes and some retweets, but no one says anything. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, I I agree with this guy completely. So let me send you this right now so you can look. <laughs> we'll have to, like, post this on the Instagram or something. Put it out there for a poll because I 100% think this is an homage to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, I mean, maybe. Because it just seems like so, like, a distinct look. As uh, anyone listening, yeah, we'll have to. I mean, I feel like it's it's hard to mimic that particularly creepy face in that scene, but this could be an attempt at it. I mean, that looks like an attempt, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it could be. I I never thought that, but yeah, I mean, I could get with you on that one. As I saw it, I went, what the? I was like, this just seems like. And, And again, I just watched Sleepaway Camp for the first time, so it was. Fresh enough by memory. Yeah. So even a shout out to whoever might have uh, thrown, you know, pushed for that, be it <laughs> Tim Burton or maybe even Gina Davis herself. But yeah, I mean, I know as far as like an homage is concerned, the scene you already mentioned where Beetlejuice eats the fly, mm-hmm. you hear the fly say, "Help me, help me," and that's a reference to the original The Fly movie, where uh, oh, is it? Yeah, it, when, uh, like, so in the original fly, the guy who turns into a fly, uh, he eventually, it's like in that movie, unlike the, the David Cronenberg one where it's like the molecules get mixed up and now Jeff Goldblum is turning into a fly. Mm-hmm. In that movie, it's like the guy's head swaps with the head of a fly. So he's a human with a fly body and somewhere out there is a fly with his human head on it. And they're trying to catch the fly so they can put it back in the machine with him and change him back. But then at the end of the movie, the fly with his head ends up caught in a spider's web. And as the spider's crawling closer, the little fly with a human head is going, help me, help me. But it's like so oh. quiet that like, because he's nice. small that no one hears him. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a reference I could point out. And mm. I mean, that movie, I'm pretty sure ha- uh, Vincent Price is in it. So obviously Tim Burton's a fan dig it in addition to just the great premise the incredible look and design of the movie mm-hmm. what a fucking cast this has this as cast, well i love every character in this movie yeah as i was watching i was like i like all these people like i'm like i like seeing any every one of them on screen you know yeah i mean gina davis she just she's in a couple of great genre things i mean i was just talking Mm -hmm. about the fly which i fucking love her in as well but she's amazing in the fly yeah she's great in this i'm not 100 percent sure what else winona Ryder had done before this but like she's amazing as lydia 
Mm-hmm. I did read one of these long lists. Uh, apparently, other actresses who tried out for that role were Sarah Jessica Parker, Brooke Shields, Lori Laughlin, Diane Lane, Justine Bateman, Molly Ringwald, Juliette Lewis, Jennifer Connelly, and Alyssa Milano. All big names. Yeah. To be big names or were at the time. Yeah, yeah. But how good is Winona Ryder in this? She's so good. She And that funky wardrobe of hers, she just fills it perfectly. Yeah, and her crazy hair. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like, Jeffrey Jones, he's just, like, a seminal 80s, like, kooky, like, weird fucked up version of a straight man actor. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, been in a ton of things. Yeah, uh, Catherine O'Hara, amazing in this, like absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And she's another one. Um, Angelica Houston was originally supposed to play her role, and I think Angelica Houston would have also been good, but different for sure. Yeah, but she had to drop out because she got sick, and Catherine O'Hara was like a last minute addition, and she's great in this. She like, really is. Just to like my whole childhood growing up, she was. Uh, the mom in Home Alone. Oh, totally. But I mean, that's like slumming it for her almost as an actress. Like she's super funny. She, I think she was like part of that Canadian SCTV crowd, and she's in a bunch of those Christopher Guest like mockumentary movies, like Best in Show. But man, in this, she's just like cranked up to eleven. She's such a memorable character, like her look and everything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and her voice. She's so good at screaming, like yelling. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, what's the weird ass dude's name? It plays Otho. Glenn Shaddix. Mm-hmm. He's another one. Ah, he's just visually interesting. He plays that like stuck up artiste character yeah. so well, which is just a weird the the that family dynamic is so odd. Like yeah. that they she even brings him along and just he's also in like an occultist. Like it's just so perfect. Yeah, and then topping everything off, Michael Keaton. I mean. Again, I'm not really super familiar with what he would have done before this. I know that, like, you know, after this, when he was going to play Batman, everyone was freaking out because it's like, oh, he's a comedy guy. He's not right for the role. But, like, what would he have done to get him this role, you know? (laughs) Mr. Mom, which is, for whatever reason, was a heavy rotation in the Daxberger house. I've never seen Mr. Mom, but I assume that, you know, he is the fun. That is a comedy, but he's more Mm -hmm. of like a straight man that like funny things are happening to in that movie, right? No, he's like doing, he oh, is, is he? like hamming it up. Okay. Johnny Dangerously, I've never seen. That was a year after Mr. Mom. Hmm. A couple other things she's having. I don't know. He's uncredited. That gung-ho, touch and go. I mean, hmm. the squeeze. I mean, a bunch of stuff I haven't heard of. Yeah, I wonder if this is like the first thing, like the earliest movie I've seen him in or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I like honestly, of all the people in the movie, I feel like the... uh like the the least memorable one is almost Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, probably just because of the character he's playing. Yeah, too, it's but... fine because they're playing like you know supposed to be normal kind of milk toast people. Yeah. But... They should be like squares that don't know how to scare people properly. Yeah, you know that plays into it. But man, what a cast! Like, just this is one of those instances where like everything came together just right. Yeah, and I also want to point out for me, big is the music in this one is oh, so good. Yeah. The music in this is phenomenal. It feels like it's like leading into the Batman music too, especially mm-hmm. like Batman Returns as well. I mean, uh, just this is another thing that like I feel like 
Once Upon a Time movies had not even necessarily like a theme song, like how Ghostbusters has the Ray Parker Jr. song with lyrics, but just like mm-hmm. a a theme tune or whatever. And like nowadays, I feel like almost the, the closest thing we get to that is like the Avengers song yep. that like kicks in whenever sure. something heroic happens in one of those movies or like mm-hmm. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man did have one. And that is uh, Danny Elfman as well, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Right. But those songs are like this tonal thing that plays during a heroic moment or whatever, and it is memorable right. after you hear it a, a few times, but nothing like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I mean, this movie has an incredible theme song that like when it when the movie starts, I think the first thing you hear is like that haunting like, daylight come and mm-hmm. me one go home or whatever and then yeah. the theme song kicks in it's just like dun 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 and like yeah. so, as someone who's a fan and i've already seen it i'm just in immediately totally but even there's just great music like that throughout the whole thing too like it, movies aren't packed to the walls with music like this felt yeah you know and i just love it love it for so many reasons that aspect that was one of the main things that stuck out to me on this viewing after like so many years too. I was like, man, this music is so good. Mm-hmm. And just adds so much to the overall feel of the movie. That like just quirky Tim Burton, like fun design. Like I love any kind of snake thing that he makes. <laughs> Cause it's always got that certain kind of face and the feeling of something he, he's into. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yeah. And I was very happy to like it as much as I still do. Yeah, it's such a you charming know? movie. Like, yeah, it's this is one that I don't expect that I'll ever watch and just be like, oh, it's not as right. good as I remember. <laughs> totally. Yeah, 100%. Especially giving it a few years, like it sounds like you and I both kind of had before this viewing. Mm-hmm. And I really do wish I'll probably buy it now after just enjoying watching it so much. Like, I could see putting this into my Halloween rotation. Yeah. It's just because I like it that much, and it really actually saddens me that there's not a packed to the walls, uh, seriously super special edition. Like this came out in '88. Yeah, yeah. Wh- like, why in 2018 did they not put out like some fancy ass mm-hmm. new edition? Totally. This is just like a ten dollar generic bare bones, like right. anywhere you look, That's... which is kind of sad. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, yes. hell, maybe, maybe with the new one coming out, that'll be something good that comes from the sequel, <laughs> is that they uh, might okay. re-release the original. We can hope, Elsie baby. Yeah. But uh, a couple of other quick things about this one that I wrote down. Um, the Warner Brothers wanted to change the title to House Ghosts, <laughs> okay. which is just the most boring. Like, I was trying to think, is that meant to be a play on, like, House Guests? I guess that's so lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just the story that I read was allegedly they pitched that and Tim Burton hated it, so he sarcastically, like off the top of his head, was like, "Why don't we just called it Scared Sheetless?" And then he was mortified that they actually considered using that title because uh, he was just joking. Brutal. Yeah, there was an animated movie like I'm or animated series like I mentioned that aired for four seasons beginning in 1989. Did you ever watch that? Mm, not positive yeah i it was in like the rotation of stuff like it wasn't my favorite show in the world but i used to i feel like during my youth like it was one of those shows that would be on you know in the morning before i left for school or something like that so i would watch Mm -hmm. it while i was eating my cereal or whatever Mm, okay 
Um, and yeah, that's like one of the only special features on the Blu-ray that I have is like three episodes of the animated series, which it's never a good idea to go back to that stuff. No. Yeah. Jeez, that's a bad idea. Um, I had heard this tidbit before, but forgot until I just rediscovered it. Uh, on March 10th, 1998, Beetlejuice was the first DVD ever r- rented and mailed out by Netflix to a subscriber. <laughs> Hell yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I had this down here as a note. A sequel was officially announced on May 10th, 2023, with a proposed release date of September 6th, 2024. Tim Burton is returning to direct. Michael Keaton, Winona Ryder, and Catherine O'Hara are all returning. Uh, new cast members include Jenna Ortega, who I think is playing Lydia's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, Monica Bellucci, Justin Thoreau, and Willem Dafoe. Okay. I just, I, I don't have high hopes. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. And a budget of $15 million, which 1988, it's not like a huge number, but still imagining them giving $15 million to this mm. weird ass concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, is interesting. Uh, yeah, box sure. office of seventy four point seven million. Damn. So it did pretty well. Yeah, it did. Yeah, love it. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> All One right. One more time. Beetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> coming uh, just two years later in nineteen ninety, we have Edward Scissorhands. Thanks, Edward. Oh, hey. Play scissor, paper, stones with us. Play scissors, what? Oh, scissors. I got a doctor friend of mine. Might be able to help you. And it looks incredible. And he did that just like that. Did I mean, it's incredible. incredible. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Oh, Jack. <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> hey, hi, George Monroe. Whoa, it's a heck of a handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Harry, Harry, I saw you on the golf course last week. Yeah, I love it. We got about a dozen of the melon and a dozen of pineapples. Do you want something to eat? Are you hungry? See you in a minute. Yeah? You want a cracker? Hey. Different. Oh, completely different. No kidding. He's so mysterious. Do you imagine those hands are hot or cold? And just think what a single snip could do. Or undo. (laughs) Eddie, Eddie. The guys and I were talking. Now, we'd like to invite you to our card game Friday night. Would you like that? Only thing is, you can't cut. (laughs) Similar to my experience with Beetlejuice, I saw this many, many moons ago. Hasn't been a movie I've rewatched like a thousand times, but similar to Beetlejuice, I would say I've probably seen it like four or five times over the years. Uh, Pretty much the same for me. I mean, I watched Beetlejuice like a lot more um, than I think probably you did at the time uh definitely watched edward Hands a couple times at least back in the day but it's been again probably 20 years plus since i've seen it yeah this is one that um i liked when i was younger mm-hmm. but again it's it's like that that thing that i mentioned earlier where it's like when i was watching it when i was younger i wasn't getting a lot of the subtext and i wasn't super interested in like the love story angle to it which is a big part of what this movie is I was just like, wow, this is weird. This guy has scissors for hands. Oh, look, it's fun to watch him like style dogs with right. his right. scissors. And, and then waterbeds. Yeah. I remember the last time I watched this, which might have even been like eight or 10 years ago. It was the first time I watched it like as an adult. And 
I remember having that realization of like what the movie is and realizing like, oh, this is like a fucking classic fairy tale, but through the eyes of a complete fucking weirdo and like really understanding what the movie was. I remember having that revelation and even trying to talk to some people about it. And I feel like if you haven't seen it in a while, mm-hmm. it's like it, you know, it was like I was I, I had it fresh in my mind and I wasn't convincing anybody. <laughs> but um, yeah, now watching it again, I it's um, that feeling is just reinforced of like this movie is like a classic fable, but just told by someone with a really weird take on things. And I love that mix of like innocence and bizarreness in this movie 100% and like I said I have watched this is my first adult viewing and at whatever point I picked up on I was like I was like this is a modern fairy tale unlike anything else before during or after I feel like yeah Um, and I love it for that for the exact same reasons that's like the perfect way to describe it Mm -hmm. but this this plays because it's so absurd so it's like you have, but it, it presents itself as like a wild fairy tale. Yeah. it's a, It's got those like values and that message that you're so used to seeing and like yeah, mm-hmm. classic fairy tales, old, old Disney movies and stuff. But just, yeah, it, visually and conceptually, like it's instead of a, like a, pr- a prince and a princess or a mermaid who turns into a human for true love. It's about a fucking guy who's like, what is he? Is he, is he alive? Is he a machine? He bleeds, but like he was quote unquote created. And it's like, mm-hmm. they're, it's a fairy tale fantasy. So they're not concerned with getting into it, you know? Right. It's in like, <laughs> why if you were building this guys and you didn't have his hands ready yet, why would you give him scissors? Like it, right. none of it, fully makes sense but that's kind of the beauty of it because it's taking these like pre-established stereotypes and tropes and just like mocking them at the same time that it's just utilizing them in such a beautiful way i Mm -hmm. feel yeah i agree with you completely i like oh this movie i find it like so touching and so like it's it's really funny but it's also really sad and Mm-hmm. It just runs the gamut of emotions for me when I watch it. And right. I, I sit there and I think to myself, how many people out there would think I'm crazy for like getting this emotionally invested in a movie where a guy wears like a gothic S&M outfit and has knives for fingers? <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree with you. And I think, you know, this feels like so like early 90s in that regard of being like, it's um somehow is so whimsical, even though the main character is covered in scars, scissor hands, and he's dressed like he's in uh, Hellraiser. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow they pull it off. Yeah, I love just like you know you'd expect. Um, so obviously the world that it takes place in is heightened, and it's got like that. I guess it's like a 40s, 50s kind of old school, like the pastel colored houses and mm-hmm. all the men leave for work in the morning and come home at night for like family dinner at the same time. And on the weekends, they all go golfing. And it's just like these 
lonely housewives wearing like aprons around all day and whatnot. Right. Avon calling. Yeah, it's like very heightened. But just to imagine like if you were trying to do a realistic version of this story at all and you could buy that this like woman in her like perfect like light pink clothes or whatever goes up to the scary ass house and she runs into Edward Scissorhands like she wouldn't run away screaming. But just like the fact that she's like so sweet and nice that she it's like she's not even seeing how weird he is. She's just like, I'm going to help this man. And mm-hmm. I, it it's so interesting the way that the other women, like these busybodies around town, they're intrigued just because there's something new in their like repetitive lives. And it's like that overpowers the fact that you should almost be scared of this guy just be, to look at him. Yeah, and I guess that's like that definitely plays into the the fairy tale aspect of it. Yeah, it's not any version of a real world. Everything even the quote-unquote real world elements of it are heightened, but like god, Tim Burton does that stuff so well, like the commentary on the kind of like madmen era housewives and mm-hmm. <laughs> just like they're calling each other constantly and uh mm-hmm. like gossiping about everything and, and the men are just all these like flat out are synchronized throughout the movie with the times they come home or leave or go like you said go golfing. yeah and just like nobody it like yes edward scissorhands is weird and it's like people realize that but it's like it's it's not affecting them the way that it should like one of the best moments for that is when they have the uh the barbecue and invite everybody over to meet edward scissorhands for the first time mm-hmm. and uh the one couple shows up and uh the the guy walks in, sees this crazy looking dude for the first time, goes to shake his hand and like pulls his hand away like, oh, like he doesn't actually want to shake his hand. And then the next second he sees like someone else off camera and is like, oh, I saw you down at the golf course this weekend and just like walks away from him. It's right. like doesn't right. even doesn't even phase him. Right. And that just plays into that fairy tale. Yeah. So much. We like we never really leave their community. Like there's one or two times where we go to that shopping center, mm-hmm. but otherwise we're just like trapped in this town that feels like if you drove to the ends of it, it would just be like a desert wasteland or something. Like it feels right. like this completely insulated little community. It just it has this this feel to it that very much like Beetlejuice, and honestly, in a manner of speaking, even more than Beetlejuice to me, just feels like this perfectly crafted like conceptual world that is like the 100% product of a single person's unique vision and that person's vision is super unique because it's Tim Burton (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just love everything about the look and the feel of this movie all the characters like you say uh the heightened aspect of everything, like painting the houses completely in those pastel colors, like playing up the dark versus light of. Yeah. The fact that the, at the edge of this like beautiful little, like perfect pre-planned community is just this hill with this like creepy Gothic mansion on top that looks like it doesn't belong. And everyone acts like, Oh, that's just normal. Nobody ever goes Mm -hmm. up there. And of course, like the scariest looking person around is Edward, but he's also the sweetest. Yeah. Most innocent. Just the nicest person. And Mm -hmm. I love his outfit too. Not even just the SMN gear that looks great. What the, he ends up wearing with like the big shirt, the big trousers and the The suspenders suspenders is so good. Yeah. I love all that stuff, all yeah, the stylistic, really like do. all the clothing and everything. Just looking at the funky, I'm still 
every time that you could see them, I'm just like looking at the scissor hands, like trying to figure out like where the scissors are, <laughs> all the mecha- mechanical part. I love all of that. Yeah. Uh, completely lost on me. I was blown away every scene. Completely forgot Vincent Price was in this. Mm, yep. Would he even tell you I I when I was watching it and I it was on HBO or streaming on Max and I was like I was like is this a version I've never seen before where <laughs> these scenes missing I don't remember at all the cookie cutter robots mm-hmm. or even the angle of like they're showing like um the scientist sketches mm-hmm. and like alluding to like. Edward is actually like a robot that like looks like a human. Yeah, well, there's that little moment during the first scene with uh, Vincent Price with the cookie cutters where, you know, he picks up that cookie that's shaped like a heart mm-hmm. and he turns. And I don't know the purpose of this robot, but there is a robot that's it's it's, you know, a machine that's like a big o- ovular body with like a little yep. neck thing and a head. And it's like it has hands that are scissors and it's just like chopping things. And he holds the heart up to that. And it's like, that's where he gets the idea for yeah. the, he's got to have the scissors still though. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then that like stuff. later on, he, he's like, uh, kind of going through his sketch pages and it's like an evolution of yeah. like that all the way up to a person. But it's the second to last one is basically what Edward looks like. Yeah. Where he's stuck. Yeah. And I was like, man, I just get, would have forgot that completely. Could not have told you that was, even played up in this movie i would just in my in my memory i was just thinking that's the thing they just never even allude to where he comes from yeah so to see it now i was like that is so awesome yeah they do it just enough though and again it's like whimsical in nature where there's no real explanation this is like almost like a dumbed down for children explanation of it it's like fucking geppetto creating pinocchio 100 100 because the uh, the absurdity of anyone with scissor hands it's like yeah, only works in one scenario. It's this. Mm-hmm. It works, but it works so well. Yeah, and I th- this was either Vincent Price's last film role or his last like major film role. Not even that I would call this major. I mean, he's important to the plot, but he's in like three scenes. Yeah, it could have been like a day on set for him. Yeah, but I mean, he was pretty old at the time, and I mm-hmm. just think it's cool that they got to work together because uh, Tim Burton is a huge Vincent Price fan. Right. His so. Uh, Tim Burton's like first thing that he did that kind of got his foot in the door to Hollywood is he made a six minute stop motion animated black and white short film called Vincent, mm-hmm. which is also where the idea for Frankenweenie came from. But it was about this kid that idolizes Vincent Price. And at some point he actually was able to get Vincent Price to read the poem that like narrates it. And that's on the Blu-ray for the Nightmare Before Christmas that I have. And I rewatched oh. it and awesome yeah it's it's that's just cool that he was able to actually put him in like a movie at some point as well yeah it's cool as hell yeah i'm pretty sure i want to say he might have gotten to work with like christopher lee at some point as well because he must have been a fan of him too but maybe in like uh dark shadows or something i can't remember dig it cast in this one also very good uh not as many like big big memorable yeah, names not but, as strong like diane weist i don't really know her that much she's in like footloose and the lost boys and parenthood uh the other thing i mostly know her from personally is the birdcage which is a movie that i love mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure she plays gene hackman's wife in that but um she's just like 
so perfect in this role. Just like the sweetest, like soft-spoken, you know, middle-aged 1960s era housewife. I mean, for me, it's big because I remember watching um, Lost Boys a lot. Parenthood and this, like, yeah, she sticks out as like just one of those forever mom type characters just for even those three movies for me yeah of all the ones i just named uh i've never seen footloose i've never seen parenthood and i've only seen lost boys once so i don't even remember her in it oh yeah parenthood for a reason used to watch that a lot yeah Um, but it's very an adult movie so i can't really explain that one Mm -hmm. the one that like really jumped off the screen for me this time was uh kathy baker as joyce the like main like lusty housewife mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh god she's good in this she's just, so good she plays that character perfectly yeah and apparently she wasn't known for comedy and actually wanted to do this movie as like her doorway into getting some comedic roles but man huh. nice. she just plays it so perfect it's like she's not playing it funny but she like the character is funny because of the way she's playing it if that makes any sense at all yeah yeah no, i'm with you yeah she's so good uh alan arkin has as uh, the husband mm, and father, mm-hmm. and just how it's like nothing phases him. He just doesn't give a shit. He's just like yeah. walking through life with his, like staring at his shoes, kind of. He's like aloof enough, but also can teach Edward a thing or two. Yeah. Like Edward accidentally cuts his daughter's hand and he's run off and the cops are looking for Edward and they come outside and he's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And they're like, Mm -hmm. we have to find Edward. And he's like, okay, go back inside. I'll find him. He just drops Mm -hmm. what he's doing and he like wanders off. Mm -hmm. Just uh, again, so tonally perfect. That like mix of the two like cultures in this movie, like the weird and the mundane. Yeah. Just, just fantastically well done. Yeah, it really is. The the quintessential modern fairy tale for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't I'd be hard pressed to think of another movie that does it quite as well as this. I mean, I feel like he gets back into that ballpark with Big Fish a bit, which admittedly it's been a while since I've seen it, I'd like to watch again, but that's another like fairy tale ish movie that he's done. And that's also what it feels like he was trying to do with Big Eyes, but I just feel like he he missed the mark on that one. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, he nails it here, don't he? Yeah. But yeah, Winona Ryder again as Kim. Yep, completely different character Yeah, than Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Anthony Michael Hall as a, like a one-note character who... I don't love. You're not supposed to love him. I feel like he's... He's the guest on of this movie. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he serves his purpose. Mm-hmm. It is just funny to think of him as like the tough, badass boyfriend. I know, considering yeah. the roles he'd played played previously. But right, yeah. I will say um, one thing I love again: just the time this came out, perfect for practical effects and everything. Oh yeah. Anytime, anytime Eddie Scissors is going at it, and they just must have a some kind of hair dryer or something that will blow everything around like <laughs> yeah. cartoonishly love that it's always like his hands are behind someone's head whose hair he's cutting mm-hmm. or, or he's got his screen. back to the camera or yeah, it's just under the screen mm-hmm. like even oh, the, the time where i feel like you get the best angle of it is at the end when he's uh cutting the ice sculpture right before totally. he accidentally cuts winona rider but it's like yep. this big upshot and they're just like pumping out the like the snow and mm-hmm. it's like it's not realistic looking but in no world is it supposed to be realistic not, looking. yeah it shouldn't 
Yeah, it should look as cartoonish as possible. Yeah, it's movie. it's just like a perfect, a perfectly realized shorthand for what's happening. Yep, I love it. I, lo- I yeah. love it so much. I'm with you. So this one, unlike Beetlejuice, was like the brainchild of Tim Burton. I'd be curious to go back and look. I didn't think to, but I I wonder if Tim Burton is actually credited as a writer on any of the films that he's done, like his original films, because I got the impression, I read a a quote, it might have been from the woman who wrote this movie, who said that like Tim Burton is like the best writer she's ever spoken to who can't put a sentence together, insinuating like he's got Mm. all these incredible ideas, but like doesn't know how to write or doesn't have the patience Can't to write do the structure. He's, yeah. he's listed as he has the the story credit. Yeah, story I would buy because it's like She's his idea screenplay. or whatever. Yeah. But like I know even like a Nightmare Before Christmas which we'll talk about that was originally a three-page poem mm-hmm. that was then adapted by somebody else into, you know, a movie script and everything. Huh. So the the story behind this one is uh Tim Burton had this idea, and he'd been impressed by the writer Carolyn Thompson's novel Firstborn, which it doesn't surprise me at all that he was impressed by a novel with this premise. It's about, quote, an abortion that came back to life. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, and so during pre-production on Beetlejuice, he asked her to write Edward Scissorhands as a spec script. Uh, so there was no deal in place for it or anything at the time. Um and despite the success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Warner Brothers was unsure about Edward Scissorhands, so they sold the rights to 20th Century Fox, who agreed to finance the film and gave Burton complete creative control. Uh, and then Batman came out, and uh, he basically had the opportunity to fast-track any project that he wanted, and uh, he went for Edward Scissorhands like before doing Batman Returns. Nice. And I just I think it's interesting that Warner Brothers, you know, they could have had this other hit on their hands because this movie did also do well. Yeah. It's always cool to see, like, big-name directors when they do whatever movie they do between their blockbusters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In this case, like, the two Batmans. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting. Same with, like, uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. do the Prestige, I think, he did after Batman. Yeah, and Inception after Dark Knight, right? Right. And then Stuff like that. Interstellar was... after Dark Knight Rises, maybe? Mm, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, it's just funny to think it was uh, ping-ponging back and forth from Beetlejuice, super fucking weird, to Batman, huge hit, to mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands, super fucking weird, to Batman Returns, to Ed Wood, which is like this almost weirder than Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice in a manner of speaking as this like strange pseudo-biopic passion project of his. Yeah, I gotta get eyes on that. Yeah, you really should. That movie's fan fucking tastic. But budget on this one was twenty million. Box office was eighty six. So another another Damn. pretty big win. Good numbers. Yeah, there's always a ton of this information, and I've, as I've said before, sometimes I don't write it all down. But I thought some of this was interesting. Uh, Johnny Depp was allegedly always Tim Burton's first choice to play Edward. Apparently, when he gave him the script and Johnny Depp read it. Johnny Depp said that he was like weeping like a child because he like saw a lot of himself in the character. Okay. Uh, but Fox insisted that he meet with Tom Cruise about the role. <laughs> Jeez. Can you imagine Tom Cruise as Edward Scissorhands? No, not even a little. Uh, Tom Cruise apparently wanted to like change the ending and make it less sad. <laughs> so I'm glad Stupid. they didn't go with him. It's like, All right. Bye Tom. 
Uh, Tom Hanks turned down the role to make the bonfire of the vanities, which bad choice for Tom Hanks. Good choice for us, I think, because I love Tom Hanks. But again, him as Edward Scissorhands, I don't know. (laughs) Right. I mean, he's barely got any lines in this movie. And yeah, it's all in that face. And Johnny Depp delivers. Mm -hmm. This one is interesting. I read this and I had also seen the clip of this recently. Gary Oldman turned down the role saying in a recent interview, which I have seen the video of, that he thought the story was absurd. Like, he just couldn't wrap his head around it. And then when the movie came out, he went and saw it, and he was, like, within two minutes of the movie, like, beginning, he understood, finally, like, got what Tim Burton was going for. And it's another Mm. thing, kind of like what we talked about with, if you read the script for Beetlejuice and didn't know what it looked like, what in God's name would you picture? Mm-hmm. This is probably a similar case of that where Gary Oldman was just like, what is this movie about a guy right. with scissor hands? Sure. Yeah. But then when he saw the movie, he like appreciated what he was going for. Which is wild to think because this story is completely absurd and it could have gone downhill fast if it wasn't executed so well. Yeah. But I mean, that's the beauty of having the creative visionary mm-hmm. like backing totally. it up. Totally. You know, 100%. So. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this is another case where like it probably would have been so easy for the studio to interfere and fuck this up, but again, Fox gave uh Tim Burton agreed beforehand to give him complete creative control. And they ended up with this thing that is just again like one person's unique vision and it's so just perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that it is. Jim Carrey and John Cusack were both considered by the studio and uh, William Hurt, Robert Downey Jr., and I had heard this tidbit before, too. Michael Jackson all expressed interest in the role. Part of me wishes I could see that in a different pocket dimension. <laughs> Apparently, Tim Burton never met with Michael Jackson. But, mm. uh, like, of all the people we just named, I almost weirdly think that he might have been <laughs> pretty good in the role. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to agree. But, but... <laughs> man. Johnny Depp, so good. Yeah. Edward Scissorhands, we're two for two right now. I mean, goddamn. (laughs) Can we go three for three? We're about to find out. (laughs) All right, jumping ahead a couple years to 1993, we have The Nightmare Before Christmas. Listen, everyone. I want to tell you about Christmas Town. There were objects so peculiar they were not to be believed All around things to tantalize my brain It's a world unlike anything I've ever seen And as hard as I tried I can't seem to describe like a most improbable dream But you must believe when I tell you this It's as real as my skull and it does exist Here, let me show you This is a thing called a present. The whole thing starts with a box. A box? Is it steel? Are there locks? Is it filled with a box? A box? box. How delightful a box. If you please. Just a box with bright colored paper. And the whole thing's topped with a bow. A bow? But why? How ugly. What's in it? What's What's in it? What's the point of the thing? Not to know. It's a bat. Will it bend? It's a rat. Will it break? Perhaps it's the head that I found in the lake. Listen now, you don't understand. That's not the point of Christmas land. Now pay attention. We pick up an oversized sock and hang it like this on the wall. 
Oh, yes. Does it still have a foot? Let me see. Let me look. Is it rotted and covered with gluck? Um, let me explain. There's no foot inside, but there's candy. Or sometimes it's filled with small toys. Small toys? Do they bite? Do they snap or explode in a sack? Or perhaps they just spring out and scare girls and boys. What a splendid idea. This Christmas sounds fun. I fully endorse it. Let's try it at once. Everyone, please, now not so fast. There's something here that you don't quite grasp. I desperately want to know what you thought of this, but would you like to hear the story of the first time I saw this? Absolutely. It's not like anything revelatory, really, but like unlike the first two, I remember the first time I saw this movie, and it was like, I, I loved it immediately. I'm guessing it was around... When it came out, probably like 94-ish, maybe. Because um, I think it must have been elementary school. I don't remember what grade, but... This is 93. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of like the year that I would have seen it, because I oh, saw it okay. on video. I didn't see oh, it in the okay. theater. Gotcha, gotcha. But um, I hadn't seen it. I don't even remember having any concept that the movie existed. But uh, it was at a friend's birthday party. A girl that I went to school with named Heather was having a sleepover party and it was a co-ed sleepover which i remember witnessing my parents debating like because we were you know i would have been young like 90 93 94 ish i would have been like eight years old or something Mm -hmm. and you know going to a birthday party is nothing but like i remember them being reticent about like boys and girls sleepover together at this young age like kind of weird but they let me go, and uh, I, the 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 two outstanding things I remember about that that party were one, the first time I at first and only time I've ever seen somebody eat vanilla ice cream with ketchup, mm. <laughs> which was this girl Heather's mom. The f- are you sure? Yes, I'm a hundred percent positive. I remember having a conversation with her about it in the kitchen because <laughs> I watched her do it. How did that go? I need to know more. Uh, I just remember being disgusted, and she was like, "You want to try it?" And I was like, "No, thank you." <laughs> Milzy, did she is she in prison now for being a serial killer? Uh, I don't know where she is at this Holy point. They, they've long shit. since moved away. How does that? Ha- how does someone do that by accident? And is like, "Oh wait, this is actually great." I don't know. I really don't. Ugh, my skin's. You know, crawling. there's weird things I've tried where people are like, "Oh, you should try peanut butter on a cheeseburger. It's actually really good." And like I've done it, and I'm like, "Eh, it doesn't do it for me." Mm-hmm. But even that's not as disgusting sounding as ketchup on like vanilla ice tom- cream. Tomato ice cream? Like, what? But yeah, the, the two outstanding things were that and, like, we watched this movie. And, of course, in typical, you know, me fashion is, like, everybody was, like, horsing around and, like, you know, not even paying attention to the movie. And I was just, I remember sitting there and being just, like, stuck to the screen. Like, wow, this movie is awesome. <laughs> And then like, I think like immediately upon coming home the next day was like, we need to own a copy of this movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. And unlike the other two, which I said, you know, I watched here and there over the years. Mm-hmm. In the years following getting this on VHS, watched this movie so many fucking times. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just became in a, uh, to use uh, some of your vernacular in the regular rotation in the Miller mm. household. Okay, okay. I can dig it. So... First time viewing. Please tell me what you thought. Mosey, <laughs> you love this movie? I can't decide if you're playing with me or not. 
I'm asking you. I you love know. it in my fucking core. I <laughs> as now as an adult, you love this movie. Yes. How long have we been friends? Uh, I just got the notification on uh, right. Facebook that we became quote unquote Facebook friends. Was it twelve years ago? Something like that. Yeah. Um, I almost like need to demand of you to insist I watch certain things because <laughs> this movie's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it is, <laughs> Millsy. I can't believe you didn't like hold me down and be like, "Why haven't you watched this yet?" I mean, I don't remember the first time I discovered that you hadn't watched this, but knowing how big of a fan of like Leica and stuff you are, like it has been a point of not contention, but like gobstruckedness that uh, you had not seen this before for me. You gotta start putting your foot down more on your boy, because I mean, I mean, I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's just movies. It's not like you know, but man, like this is everything i like in life yeah i you know i i had i had a feeling i didn't think you would <laughs> dislike this movie but you never know like i had a feeling it was going to be like a basically a musical yeah oh it's a full musical <laughs> but i wasn't like sure of that but i was like i'm very aware of the uh opening song you know or i don't know if that's the theme song or whatever they you know this, this is, is halloween, halloween. yeah I have heard that before. I just, you know, I didn't know if that was um, more of a theme song or something that just it plays or if it was a musical, but. Yeah, uh, some of the themes play throughout the movie. I think that's one of them where, like, that's the only time that that song really appears, but you'll get, like, the the basic bits of it in the background here and there mm-hmm. throughout. Now, I don't know if Tim Burton draws things or what, but you know, all the characters just feel like they fit in that world of stuff that looks like his, you know, there's, there's weird worm things that look like the same worm shit from Beetlejuice, you know, stuff like that. Uh, But I just love everything. All the look (laughs) of all those characters are so cool. You know, I love Halloween and Christmas. So this is like right in my wheelhouse of spooky stuff with Christmas. I mean, I don't, I, I, Shout out to it having like a 72 minute runtime or whatever it is too, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, perfectly fine. And also just another reason to love it. Um, Cause I'm not sure at what point I was like, kind of early on, I was like, watch, I'm going to love this goddamn movie. And then, you know, I think my smile probably just got bigger and bigger as I watched it to the point where it's kind of in the climax where, all the like kids are being scared by the Christmas presents, <laughs> yeah. and then the, the fucking Jack gets shot out of the sky by like a tank. I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, this is the it's like a surface to air missile like, takes him out. I was, I was like, I love this shit. This is a, this is spectacular. So, yeah, and of course, like you said, you know, this, this is going all the way back to constantly, constantly renting Gumby movies. <laughs> And the show and watch, I would watch Gumby like crazy. Like I've always liked stop motion. And this just adds that again, I love so much like a stuff, but just this, I'm like, I'm not even upset that I'm 40 plus and finally watching this. Cause it's, you know, it just adds to the, to the story of me finally seeing it, but I mm-hmm. absolutely loved it. Yeah. If anything, I think my reticence was that a, this this thing, this movie, has been mind-blowingly marketed 
to the point of insanity, thanks mostly to Hot Topic, but just the amount of toys and books yeah. and shirts and posters and knickknacks and stickers right, and keychains right. and like every year, rightfully so, there is a line of uh, Hallmark uh, ornaments. The is there devoted to this? Yeah, I have a couple of them. See, I could absolutely once we're done recording, tell Megan like, yeah, I could get down on a <laughs> ornament of. But there's just like Oogie Boogie there's comic or books, there's manga, there's this thing is like it, it, nobody ever would have guessed that this would be the nonstop money making machine it is that a, it is, and it is a juggernaut. It's kind of it's tied in with that like you know mall goth thing because of hot topic mm-hmm. i thankfully saw it in advance of that being a thing and already loved it like and i'm you know i i was a you know hot topic shopper back in the day and most of my wardrobe was like nine inch nails t-shirts and i used to dye my hair and stuff but it's like that came along completely independently of this and it didn't make me like this any more or less but like that would have been my concern is like I could easily see someone who's only aware of a nightmare before Christmas because of this like subsection of people that the average normal person may have like a bad like vibe about mm-hmm. <laughs> because of who they are and what they represent or whatever. And then seeing this and being like, no, it's not enough to win me over. That was like probably the only concern that I really had, but I've always just loved this movie. I love all the music. Um, yeah, the music's great. I mean, the whole Jack Skellington has two voices, and because Danny Elfman, I kind of read he, yeah, Danny Elfman just did the normal singing. talking voice wasn't fluid enough, so they brought in that Chris Sarandon guy. But they both sound great. I wouldn't have known that unless I had read it. But um, Catherine O'Hara, she's in here. Sally, yep. I mean, I kind of love everything. I mean, Oogie Boogie. Just <laughs> the boogie man per- perfect yeah perfect i mean when he gets uh his thread pulled and he's just bugs <laughs> yeah. I was like, this, this is the coolest shit ever i was like shout i just love it yeah i was just like so happy i finally watched it and i liked it so much because it's just so good and i'm so happy and relieved that you it, enjoyed it it deserves to be like an absolute juggernaut yeah, and it's I mean, just cool. So yes, uh, it like all those characters for the most part were based on sketches and designs by Tim Burton. I'll give you the the quick backstory on this one, I guess. Uh, so he made that six minute stop motion short called Vincent that I mentioned, and that basically got him hired at Walt Disney Feature Animation in 1982, and. So he loved growing up watching specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And so he wrote The Nightmare Before Christmas as a three-page poem, which it's really cool on the Blu-ray copy that I have. They have like sort of a almost like flash animated version of the movie that plays along with Christopher Lee reading that poem. Oh, wow. So you can like listen to him read it and like, like the original poem and watch like a a simple version of the movie along with it. Okay. And so he wrote that poem and he pitched it to Disney as like a new, this could be a new 30 minute long holiday Christmas special that airs every year. And Disney actually kind of started to go for it, but then the project stalled. And um, Disney eventually fired Tim Burton after like two years. I don't think he really got anything off the ground there during that time. Mm -hmm. But then 
So he goes on to become an A-list director, thanks to stuff like Pee-wee and Beetlejuice and Batman. And then Tim Burton, like, was always thinking about this idea. Like, he always thought it would make such, like, a fun Christmas story. Uh, So he went back to Disney, who still owned the rights to The Nightmare Before Christmas because he had pitched it to them and they had started developing it at some point. Okay. And he pitched it now as a feature-length animated movie, and it got the green light basically based on the fact that Tim Burton was a big deal at the time. After, like, he left... Disney and like seven years later he had made a bunch of hit movies and they were like yes we'll do your thing but because of his commitment to Batman Returns and the fact that he said like he didn't want to be he had done that six minute animated like stop motion animated short and was like I can't imagine doing an hour and a half long version of this so like Mm -hmm. I don't want to direct it so -hmm. they brought on Henry Selleck to do it okay and then the other interesting thing about it is So, again, he didn't, like, write the script himself because that's not his forte. He brought back uh, Michael McDowell, one of the writers of uh, Beetlejuice, and the two of them weren't really gelling on it. So he passed it off to Caroline Thompson, who had written Edward Scissorhands, and basically then he was working with um, uh, Danny Elfman. He was working working with him. And basically, they just decided on the spot, like, this this could be a musical. Let's, like, make it a musical. Like, that was not the plan from the beginning. It was just going to be, like, a, a normal narrative film. And then <laughs> Danny Elfman said that Tim Burton would basically describe to him, like, what should happen for a couple of scenes. And then Danny Elfman would go, and apropos of nothing, without a finished script, just, like, write songs. And then he would play them for Tim Burton, who would inevitably be like, oh, these are great. And then Danny Elfman would be like, okay, well, what are the next few scenes? And that's how they, quote unquote, wrote the movie around the music. Okay. All right. It just, it sounds so scattershot to turn into what I think is a very well put together, well-rounded movie with like an interesting story that doesn't feel like anything was missing. For sure. And I'm like completely ready to add this into the christmas rotation yeah because i uh have purchased the blu-ray which comes with oh, a nice. copy so yeah there's like a there's a pretty good like it's not great but it's like a 30 minute feature add on there that has uh like a bunch of uh you get to see like the sets and stuff and like the puppets and all that they were making and mm-hmm. so it's it's better than it could be but it's you know not as good as it could be either <laughs> right yeah there's uh seemingly a ton of versions of discs over the years to buy well yeah this is one of those ones that just it's popular and it continues to be popular so they constantly are putting out new editions and yeah and whatnot yeah just like to speak of the to the story you know it it's it's another unique clever interesting idea similar to beetlejuice And uh, it's another interesting combination of, like, worlds that feel like they shouldn't fit together, like Edward Scissorhands. Mm -hmm. I just love the the simplicity of the idea of, oh, a character from Halloween Town wanders through a doorway into Christmas Town not knowing what it is, and he becomes infatuated with it. And from there, it's kind of like a fucked up Disney princess movie. Because typically a Disney princess movie is about usually a young girl who doesn't, 
it feels like she doesn't fit into like the typical um societal norms of like what her peers and or usually parents expect of her and mm-hmm. like wants to go off and do her own thing and by the end of the movie convinces everybody that like see like my seemingly wild ideas aren't that crazy and like everything worked out for the best whereas this it's like jack is a disney princess who nobody else in his community understands what he's going through but he has this passion for something but then it all blows up in his fucking face and kind of in the inverse of a disney princess movie instead of convincing everybody else like yeah, look, we, we can change for the better or whatever. It's like he realizes, no, you know what? <laughs> I should stay in my lane and just do it even better. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know exactly like what that message, you know, the, the validity of that message, but I just like that weird twist on once again, like standard tropes. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so interesting and yeah, combined with the great music and the gorgeous visuals and, Hundred percent, man. It just looks great. Of course, you know, just stop motion from '93. Just gonna look so cool. It doesn't have like a lot of the digital digital flair that gets added now, which I'm fine with. Yeah. But they actually had some like hand animation stuff, like Oogie Boogie's Shadow, a couple times. Mm. Oogie Boogie was so cool. That like, was now done by like Disney Animation. It's gonna be so funny for me to just like go out in the world and now like notice Nightmare Before Christmas stuff everywhere. Yeah. You know, like I'd seen Oogie Boogie before, mm-hmm. but I don't even, not even could have told you if that was actually his name. Same with yeah. Sally. I know like I've seen Sally plenty of times, but yeah, Sally, Jack, Oogie Boogie and Zero get a lot of play. Oh, <laughs> such a great dog name, too. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, even just the idea of him having the uh, the glowing pumpkin nose and he's basically Rudolph who like mm-hmm. allows them to go yep. when, when Sally oh, tries just, to fog oh. the place up and. Jack's just flying around with the skeleton, the uh, reindeer skeletons. It's just so good. Him, him in the Santa outfit, just calling Santa Sandy Claus, just making <laughs> yeah. me laugh every time. When he finally sees him, he's like, "You don't have claws at all." Like, he's just—he's like he's so his, earnest and his innocent. voice was perfect. I yeah. love that character design-wise. No eyeballs. That was like a conscious choice. I read after to like Disney. I think wanted them to give him eyes. But they pushed mm-hmm. back against it. And I just love that. Again, back to the the climactic battle was so good. Yeah. I just loved it. I, mean, I, I loved it, Millsy. I, I mean, loved it. Music to my ears. <laughs> I mean. Um, yeah, he brings back, like, Catherine O'Hara, you already mentioned. But Glenn Shaddix from Beetlejuice is the mm-hmm. voice of the, the mayor of Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. Paul Rubens has a small part as... Uh, Locke, the little boy in like, that has like the demon costume of Lock, Stock, oh, and Barrel. Okay. Danny Elfman, I think, was Barrel, and uh, Catherine O'Hara also did the voice of Shock, the little girl in the witch outfit. She's so good, Mel. Such such movie magic. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, know, really. watching stuff like the like a movies now. It had been a couple years since I last watched A Nightmare Before Christmas, um, and. You know, with those other movies in mind, the stop motion animation is like less perfect in this than it is in those. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that almost makes it weirdly better for me. Yeah, that does that does takes away nothing, you know. Yeah, and I like that. You know, um, 
like the mayor of Halloween Town, you can see the outline on his face of like where they take off the mouthpieces and stuff. Right, right. Like, yep. uh, but I don't care about any of that stuff. It's just no. so cool looking. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just great. All the little, yeah. all the little sets are spectacular. And mm-hmm. just... uh, filming took two years to complete, and the film is comprised of 109,440 individually taken frames. Take it. At the height of production, the film occupied 20 different sound stages. Oh. 227 puppets were constructed for the film, and Jack Skellington alone had around 400 different heads. Wow. So cool. And uh, it's interesting, like, in that little documentary feature, they go over some of these things. Like, Jack, he has just, like, this spherical head, and you can see the head-changing shape with his facial expressions because they could just remove the entire head's to change the facial expressions. Mm -hmm. But like with Sally, she has that hair. And so she had to have just like the front of the head pulls off so that they, they could keep the hair like consistent. Sure. And then the last note that I have here is uh, in 2002, Disney began to consider producing a sequel using CG instead of stop motion. But Tim Burton single-handedly convinced them not to do it. (laughs) Uh, Props to that man. (laughs) About the film, Burton says, I I was always very protective of The Nightmare Before Christmas not to do sequels or things of that kind. You know, Jack visits uh, Thanksgiving World or other kinds of things just because I felt that the movie had a purity to it and that people like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was important to keep that purity, is what he said. So, I mean, I agree. Like, I'm so the movie, budget of $24 Box office during its original theatrical run was only fifty million, so it made its money back and then some. But it wasn't like this huge hit. But after all the subsequent theatrical re-releases, it now has a box office of one hundred and one point two million. Nice. I didn't write it down, but they literally did have a list of all the uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases on um, on Wikipedia. And it was it was like every two years it gets a re-release because it's just that popular and in demand. And then again, all the fucking merchandising. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yeah. this movie, I would love to know like what the total gross this movie has made for Disney is. Is dude, just the some of the little things I've seen, even just like looking on Amazon just to look at a Blu-ray. If you just search just the title, it's like endless stuff. On there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was originally released under like one of the subdivisions like Touchstone or something because they were afraid that it would be too scary for kids. But it has subsequently like retroactively been like now it's like a Disney animated feature or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like uh, there was a bunch of re-releases of like Pixar and Disney movies that all had similar packaging however many years ago. And Nightmare Before Christmas is now one of them with like the matching design element. That's actually the version that I have coincidentally but nice yeah <sighs> well nothing has ever made me happier than hearing you say that you loved this movie <laughs> i mean just to finally see it and i honestly going in i was like even without the music the musical angle because sometimes i can be one way or the other with those mm-hmm. and i was just like have i am i past the prime of watching this now you know like is this going to work for me as a as an adult? And sure enough, it didn't didn't take long for me to like start to get really into it. And then, like I said, by the time it's Christmas night is kicking off, it was just, <laughs> it was just so good. Did you have a favorite song, or what would you say your favorite song um, was? 
I don't. I was actually even thinking, I was like, on subsequent viewings, I feel like I'll probably lean towards something. I mean, the opening song, I feel like I just know more now. Yeah. This is Halloween. The opening song is good. But in my heart of hearts, it's uh, What's This? When he first gets to Christmas Town. Mm. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? Yeah. I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This isn't fair. What's this? <laughs> That's always been oh, my I favorite. It. It's so good when they like go back and forth between the two towns, too. Like the color difference and all yeah. that. It's just so mm-hmm. well done. For sure. So good, Mills. So good. One final question regarding this movie. Hmm. Is it a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? I think it's more of a Christmas movie. You're speaking my language. Yeah, I can. Um, this was actually playing near us on Halloween, mm-hmm. and we were thinking about going to see it, but we ended up just both having like long days and just wanted to be at home. And I was like, I'll I'll see it eventually, sooner than you expected. Well, right, but uh, yeah, I seeing that I was like, this even when I said to her, and she's like, Are "You sure?" And I was like, "Yeah, that just seems to me more like a Christmas movie, even though I haven't seen it." And now after seeing it, I'm like, "Yeah, that's." I would begrudge anyone watching it either yeah but i'm like i'm the kind of person who's like i will watch you know a christmas movie any time of the year if i'm in the mood for it and and i i've never been one of those people not that there's anything wrong with it who's like like my buddy mike watches uh die hard every christmas um Mm -hmm. uh, and i know that you have movies you said like don't you watch the thing every halloween right like i've never been one of those people but like my kind of take on the whole is it a Christmas movie, especially when it comes to something like Die Hard is like, in my opinion, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie because while it takes place at Christmas time, it doesn't embody the spirit of Christmas the way that a Christmas movie should. Whereas I feel like a nightmare before Christmas does embody like the spirit of Christmas. And like, yeah. even though it's like a backwards ass lesson, like I was talking about, it's like a lesson learned mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, which is, like I said, even just opening, like, it's my two favorite times of the year, Halloween and Christmas, so this is just the perfect (laughs) amalgamation of that, but ultimately, I would say this is much more a Christmas movie. Well, I'm with you. And then, like I said, now it's going to be in the rotation. (laughs) Perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh, let's talk some posties. Yeah, poster time. I feel we've got some heaters this time around. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, uh, Beetlejuice, it's a little busy, but I like it a lot. It's awesome. It's a painting. Yeah. If anything, I just feel like his face is off a bit. And I don't know if it's just a bit. I don't know if it's the expression or just the... Yeah, I'll agree. It's like not... It's it's missing a bit of even the mossy green bits. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. The hair almost looks too wispy or something. Yeah. The um, the other likenesses are okay. I mean, Gina Davis is better, but mm-hmm. um, Alec Baldwin's I feel is a bit off. Yeah, I feel like you could easily look at this and not realize that's him. Yeah, overall, still cool, still looks good. I mean, it's fun. It's a fun poster, but yeah, I mean, it's got the house. It's got uh, the well, excluding. I mean, Lydia's down there at the bottom, but you know, ostensibly three of, if not the three leads. Yep. It's got, you know, like, honestly, I I said I felt it was a little busy. If it was me, I would get rid of all the little stuff around the house. Like, I would keep the family, the Dietzes down there, like, looking up in shock. But, like, 
the monster head on the side mm-hmm. of the house and like all the little people everywhere. I would I would get rid of all that stuff and leave it just a plain house, but I mean Yeah. Yeah. It's a lovely painted poster. Um I hate the double uh quotation the double quotes, but I usually do. In this house, if you've seen one ghost, you haven't seen them all. Meh, it's I mean, okay. And the name and laughter from the hereafter. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just that's not. If I had to keep one, I'd keep the first one. <laughs> Same. Yeah, the name and laughter from the hereafter. It's just, it's pushing too much that this is a comedy. Yeah, definitely could have come up with a better tagline yeah. if you needed one at all. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes with this image, I feel like you know whether or not you want to see the movie without having a tagline. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention during the review, but P- rated PG has an f bomb in it, which I thought was great. Was it? Well, no, this would have been after they created PG thirteen. Yeah. Hmm. So interesting. Hmm. I thought that was interesting, but yeah, <laughs> good poster. Yeah, not great. I'm a fan. I am a fan as well. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. <sighs> When I saw this one, because this is the main one that they have on IMDb, I was like, is this the real one? And scrolling around online, there's like a bunch of variations on this mm-hmm. and like some completely different ones that I'm familiar with the imagery. I really couldn't tell. So, I'm, you know, we'll go with this. It it kind of makes sense because we talked about how at the time this got fast tracked because of his success with Batman and Beetlejuice. Yeah. And it, at the top, it says in big letters, the director of Batman and Beetlejuice invites you to meet his newest creation. Yeah. Just kind of gotten in the habit of just grabbing whatever IMDb says is the poster. Because yeah. peek behind the curtain, you could go absolutely crazy trying to figure <laughs> out on some things what's the actual poster. For sure. So I honestly think, because I got something interesting I read, which we will see in a moment when we look at the Nightmare Before Christmas poster, is that uh, it's just funny, like Tim Burton, because of Batman primarily, but he had had a string of successes, but because primarily of Batman, he was such a big deal of a director that they chose, it wasn't his request or anything, they chose to put Tim Burton's before the Nightmare Before Christmas on all the posters and advertising because they were like, his name will help sell this. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the same thing they're going with here. And I think, you know, it's a relatively simple image, just like a close-up of the face with some pieces of scissors. I think that the name, like, the the insinuation that this is the guy who made these other movies you really like, this little bit of an intriguing character, and that title alone, that's all you really need. Like, it's not the best poster design in the world, but I feel like, this is probably just as good, if not better, than like anything else you could show <laughs> to advertise the movie. Yeah. I mean, without seeing the movie, but seeing the poster, it's like interesting they pick those colors for the top text, but it makes yeah. total sense once you've seen the movie, which I kind of like. Oh, yeah. It's like the four different colors of the houses. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, that plays in. That's very subtle, but plays into it. And yeah, like you said, I think this is just plenty to show you what this movie could be. Yeah. Like if you're a, uh, a 21 jump street fan, you recognize mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. There's his big old face. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, it, it is weird, but you know, they have up there at the top. This is the guy who gave you Beetlejuice. Right. And then just that title, like that title, I feel like you don't even need anything else. <laughs> like it's so yeah. weird and intriguing and original and 
not based on anything else you've ever heard. It's not a right. playoff of something that like this could just be black with white, like the, the title in white text. Not that I would right. want that, but right. that's how unique and intriguing the title is. And if like you think back to like before this came out and someone said to you like, oh, there's a movie called Edward Scissorhands. More often than not, I would expect people to never expect it to be literal Scissorhands. Yeah. So to have that on the poster is... It is cute. funny. Uh, on the Edward Scissorhands Blu-ray that I have, again, it's a bare bones one. Uh, there is a little like five minute like promotional featurette from the time. And it begins with about 45 seconds of just... They obviously went out on the street in like 1992 or whatever. Or, not, or 1990 and just asked people if they'd heard of Edward Scissorhands because it's just like 45 seconds of clips of random people in the street going, Edward, what? Scissorhands? <laughs> like, so, it, you know, <laughs> it, it's like, it, to what you're saying, it's, you wouldn't know what the hell it is, but it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of brilliant in its simplicity, I think. Yeah. Well, for sure. This is... uh. Marketing did it correct this time. Yeah. And uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, I was thinking, you know, as I watched the movie again for the first time in a couple of years, mm-hmm. that scene, the first, like when uh, Jack is, I think the song is called Jack's Lament, and he's like wandering through the graveyard or whatever, talking about, or the pumpkin patch, talking about how, singing about how like depressed he is. And it's the scene of him like on top of this twisty hill with the big sun in the background. And I like before even looking and realizing, oh, yeah, that's the poster. Duh. I was just thinking to myself, as far as like unique images that are just like burned into the pop culture, you don't get much better than that. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a recognizable, unique, like there's nothing else like it because of that like hill with it looks like the top of a wizard's hat or something. Yep. And I've seen this plenty of times, but now seeing the movie and having like an utter appreciation for it, I actually, I think this poster is gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. Colors colors work so well together. I love the, just the title is kicked over to the side there. It's on the mountain. So it just stands out so well. All the funky little jack-o'-lanterns. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a giant, like in your face, Jack Skellington. He's tiny, but yeah. stands out so well from the background. Like I love this poster. Yeah. It's great. And there's um, no horrible tagline. Yeah. Kind of like what I was saying about Edward Scissorhands. It's just like so unique that you don't need a whole lot else mm-hmm. it's just like intriguing even if you don't 100 percent understand what you're looking yeah. at and it is like there's not a single without the title you would have no idea this is anything christmas related yeah so that adds to the intrigue i don't even think that's a negative mm-hmm. but yeah i just it's like you know you've got like the superman and batman logos and like you know the fucking coca-cola logo and like i feel like this is as ubiquitous and recognizable as any mm. of those things. Mm-hmm. That hill with a skeleton guy on top in front of a big yellow moon. Yeah, so good. It's like it's become this like known An icon, meaningful, yes, iconic thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I love I it just too. Love it. I love the jack lanterns just going off in the distance. It's just perfect. It's the perfect. Um, what am I thinking of setup? It just uh, I just love how it's laid out. Like everything, nothing's like 
straight on the middle except for Jack. Everything, you know, the hills kicked off to the side, the other hills. It's just, yeah, composition. I just love the composition of it. Mm-hmm. Even he isn't centered. He's like high yeah. in the image. It's right, right. Yeah, no, I just dig it. Love the font. I mean, the whole thing. Yeah, this is probably one of my like favorite posters we've ever had. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, you know, I didn't even realize until I looked at it again, like how solid it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Millsy baby, break it down for the people. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. It is. Uh, it's five. Uh, you know, killer bunny rabbits and uh, little <laughs> vampire dolls uh, dropped off under the tree by Jack Skellington on Christmas Eve. All day. <laughs> uh, Edward Scissorhands. Like I said, I think it's like kind of beautiful in its simplicity uh it's not like the most impressive poster in the world but i mean i remember once upon a time giving planes trains and automobiles i believe a five and it was just two guys sitting in a white void i don't i don't think this is necessarily quite as good like i said i i'm mainly basing it on like the title and how unique that is like i said it could Mm -hmm. be like white text on black but i still think this is solid um i would give this uh four um Four giant sculptures in the yards of uh, very bland-looking houses, which is something I forgot to mention in the review, but I love how it's like a visual representation that someone unique has come along and changed, like, the people of a town that all of a sudden this incredibly generic cookie-cutter neighborhood has just these giant, unique, weird-looking uh, like plant sculptures in sure. all of their yards. Totally. So like the second half of the movie, it's just like any view of the street. It's just like, there's something weird about this town. Oh yeah. And I love that. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then Beetlejuice. I mean, I think it could have, could use a couple little changes, but for the most part, I mean, it's, it's iconic and memorable to me just from seeing it so many times, yeah. uh, you know, Get rid of one or both of those taglines and make a couple little alterations to the art. Otherwise, it's like a, a lovely painting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I would give this one. Uh, Beetlejuice said four times instead of three. <laughs> nice. Well played. <clears throat> yeah. Well played. All right, Mills. Here we go. Time for. Uh, Bye, Barbara. Burn. Burton's choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go first. Okay. Because I'm just excited to hear your breakdown. Because I'm not, I, even right now, I'm not sure how you're going to go. But I look forward to hearing it. So I might as well just get mine out of the way. Clearly nothing's getting thrown into the sun, right? Right. Uh, ain't that kind of night. Nothing gets launched uh, into the sandworm dimension. Nope. For sure not. I will say by burn is uh, Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. I find, I mean, I, so many things I love about it, but I think, for, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say, that's my burn. My borrow is going to be my, one of my new favorites, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And my buy is Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice ultimately is like uh Kind of at every facet of Beetlejuice is just like my kind of thing, you know, and it still it still holds up so well that it just it brings me joy at all all points. And kind of my point 
between that and especially Edward Scissorhands is I just think the overall the cast of the cast and the cast of characters in Beetlejuice overall does it more for me than the cast and characters of Edward Scissorhands does. Mm-hmm. So that's like I feel like that's like a one point between those two, especially. Beetlejuice has that strong cast. <laughs> it does, and it's all those I just love it. each of those characters, and they're so fun and funny and weird that just adds into that. And then on top of it, I think the best character out of everything is Beetlejuice. So um, that's what gives it the buy for me. So then if you kind of go between Edward Scissorhands and Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas is just ultimate movie magic. You know, like I said, this is like clearly a new favorite for me. And also overall, I, in coming up with this, I was thinking of like rewatchability. And that's just that much more higher for me for Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice versus Edward hands. Love it. I think it is a fantastic modern fairy tale, but it's not one I would see. Like, I got to rewatch that all the time. Mm-hmm. So Fair. That's how it goes. That's how my votes votings go. I'm ready for the, I'm ready for the Millsy experience. I will say that I had in mind, I don't always think about honestly in advance of this moment of the show (laughs) the order that i'm going to put them in Uh i mean there are times where i either haven't seen something in a long time or haven't seen something at all before so i can't think about it too early either but i definitely in advance of watching these movies being excited to sit down and watch them again for the show i had in my mind like i'm sure this is what my my by bar burn is going to be and it changed in watching them again oh okay there's no world where A Nightmare Before Christmas isn't my buy. It, I just feel like whether or not anybody would guess this, it, it is just so ingrained in my my persona and my memory. And it's just I love it so and I have for so long. Uh-huh. Like I said, unlike the other two, I had like this immediate attachment to it and have watched it a billion times over the years. Just since that first time I saw it, I just absolutely love it. It's just easily my favorite of the three. Okay. So the thing that surprised me this time, because uh, it's not what I where I expected it to go, is that I'm going to borrow Edward Scissorhands and burn Beetlejuice. Mm. Interesting. And the honest reason <laughs> why that is, is while I love both movies and I think they're both incredibly unique and have like tons of great stuff going for them, you know, the softy that I am, I was like surprised how emotional I felt watching the like final act of Edward Scissorhands this time mm-hmm. around. You had a big like emotional reaction to it. Yeah, I mean it it is sad and it's sweet and everything and it's just like they hit the nail so hard on the head because it is like a fairy tale where it's like it's not enough that, you know, they chase Edward Scissorhands away and then like she goes up there and basically saves him but can never go back otherwise people would like wonder what's going on up there but then it also it's like I forgot that it had the wraparound segment like I had forgotten <laughs> that it was going to cut back to her as an old woman and she's explaining why it snows and I was just like oh mm-hmm. god it's so good <laughs> it's so good just every bit of it lends to that fairy tale yeah uh even just little things that I had forgotten like um the police officer earlier in the movie you know when you know he almost shot edward because he didn't know him and then he like met him briefly when they arrested him and then when they let edward out of uh the jail he looks at the psychologist and it's a joke 
where he's like, is that, is he going to be okay? Or, or the, the psychologist says like, oh, he's got this wrong with him and this wrong with him and this wrong with him and this wrong with him. And then the cop is like, is he going to be okay out there? And the, the psychiatrist says something along the lines of like, they don't pay me enough to care or whatever. And it's like a joke. Hmm. But then at the end of the movie, the cop like lets Edward go and tries to cover for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. even that little thing, it's like he touched all oh, these yeah. people in all these ways. And while some of them have turned on him, there's other ones who like will forever be changed by their brief experience with Edward in their lives. And I don't know. I just, I, pulls, I, at, your, pulls at those Millsy heartstrings. Yeah. I watched them in chronological order just because I was like, I have all three. I can watch them any order, but I'm just going to go, you know, the first one, the second one, the third one. And I had watched Beetlejuice. I had enjoyed it. But then when Edward Scissorhands was over, I was like, ooh, that was a different experience than just like yucking it up at Beetlejuice. Okay. So. Dig it. Yeah. I I, I thought I was going to go Nightmare Beetlejuice, uh, Edward Scissorhands beforehand. I. Going in, I kind of was like unsure of how you felt about Beetlejuice. I don't know if that's just one we just haven't talked about a bunch. Yeah. Over our friendship. So I just wasn't kind of sure. But I know even like recently we were just talking about Edward Scissorhands. But I think I knew you had an affinity for that one. But Mm -hmm. I was pretty sure. I was like, I'm pretty sure like Millsy's head over heels about Nightmare Before Christmas. So. Yeah. uh, Over now, as we were, I was kind of taken aback. I was like, oh, Millsy really does like Beetlejuice even like as much as like as I do. So I wasn't I was (laughs) not sure how this was going to play out in the end. So. Yeah, I we love them all. I would I would put yeah, my life same. on the line to keep any of the three of these from being burned in I mean, in actuality. But I'm I'm with you. I mean, let's talk about us disagreeing completely, but also loving the shit out of all three. Of them, so. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's a good ass night of triple threat right there. Mm-hmm. I was so excited when this one came up last episode. Just like yeah. I had been like, I was actually thinking to myself, man, it's been so long since I've watched uh, Nightmare Before Christmas that uh, I was like, maybe I will watch it this Christmas season. Mm-hmm. And then this opportunity came up. So I was like, fuck it. Let's yeah. go. Oh, it's funny, too. For me, I mean, I'm not sure when this episode drops, but for us, it's been exactly three weeks since Halloween. So yeah, I almost Christmas saw this is already the coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've almost the Mariah Carey almost, memes are already out there. Right, I've almost watched this uh, on Halloween, and then like a week later, it came up as the the next episode. Yeah, for us to watch. So, yeah, I'm just so glad I've watched it finally. I have purchased it, and uh, looking forward to watching it again. All right. Well, at your behest or at your request, rather, um, you need to fucking watch Ed Wood like sooner rather than later. Mm. Like, if you want me to bug you about movies, Ed Wood is fucking great. Yeah. Watch there's it. A, there's a few things in his uh, repertoire that I want to take a look at. So I'm with you. But. Yes. For this show of ours, it's time to hit that random number, Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have currently 235 potential themes just waiting to be chosen. Here we go. Is it going to be super early again? No. Holy shit. <laughs> 227 Milty oh, wow. 227 All right. You know, I've been wanting to rewatch two of the three of these recently as well, so this is great. Oh. Uh the first two. Hey. <laughs> uh, hey, look at me about to watch three movies I've never seen before. You've never seen any of these? No. Oh man. All right. Well, next episode we are going to be discussing the theme Youth in Revolt. And the middle one, I've actually been like been dying to watch. Really, just because I feel like I've there's so many people I know like love it. I'm I'm with it. 
man. Now for something different. Uh, it's just exciting, like being able to through the show have you like forced to watch some things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Same. I mean, that's the the buttery essence of this show is, is what it boils down to. Well, things that been to like one movie in particular. I was saying like oh, I need to watch that. The other two, I'd be like oh maybe I'll watch those. You know, I'm aware of them, but. Well, I anticipate nice. that this is going to be a good episode, too. So. <laughs> nice. Dig it. Yeah. Um, a lot of ways that you could probably go uh, with your guesses for this one, but Youth and Revolt, let's hear what you think it's going to be. And uh, in three short weeks, we Looking will be back to, to uh, you know, reveal what they are and uh, talk some more about movies that hopefully we both really love. There we go. So until then, uh, my name is Ryan Miller. Um, Joe Daxberger. Well, I attended Juilliard, and I've traveled extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier each and every time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.